if you've got any money in a bank account, then the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank might concern you, even just a little bit. It's the second largest bank collapse in US history, and the largest one since 2008 when Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns went under. It's really quite a bit of a catastrophe. And this isn't just some crypto bank, it's a genuine financial institution. But it begs the question of what exactly went wrong, could they have done anything differently, and what does this mean for the broader economy? So let's have a look at what exactly happened to Silicon Valley Bank, and in reality it rather resembles a classic bank run. Now up until relatively recently, Silicon Valley Bank appeared to be plodding along relatively well, appeared to be behaving like an ordinary financial institution. But there were some issues beneath the surface that gave rise to latent risks. And in particular, Silicon Valley Bank primarily caters towards startups and venture capital funds and Silicon Valley in general. This creates quite a lot of concentration within one sector of the economy. And in the current economic environment, many startups are struggling. They're struggling their traction with enterprise clients. They're struggling to be able to raise money from venture capital funds. They are struggling in general. This is particularly the case for many of those startups that raised a ton of money on lofty expectations, but are nowhere near cash flow positive. So they baked in a ton of expenses, but they simply weren't generating enough revenue to be able to pay all of these off. Now this creates some issues, because many of these startups needed to withdraw money from their bank accounts in order to pay their suppliers, or to pay their employees, or to pay for anything else such as their rent. So many of these startups were starting to withdraw some money. Now this is relatively normal as far as it goes, but when you're super concentrated within one sector of the economy, and that sector is all withdrawing money all at once, it creates a bit of an issue for a bank, because all those depositors are now withdrawing their money from you. So to try to mitigate this, Silicon Valley Bank decided to sell some of its bonds. So when you're a bank, you might have bonds on your balance sheet. A bond is an asset. It basically gives you the entitlement to receive interest from the lender. And they have these bonds in their balance sheet, so they can potentially sell them, get some cash, and then shore up their balance sheet. Those bonds, after all, are a little bit more risky than just holding straight cash. So Silicon Valley Bank started selling these bonds. They sold quite a lot of them. However, this created a bit of a loss. After all, with interest rates going up and up and up, many of these bonds have gone down and down and down in value. The reason for this is as the interest rate is going up, the required rate of return on a bond also goes up, so therefore the value of this existing bond that is paying a lower interest rate is now rather lower. So Silicon Valley Bank needed to sell these at a loss. Reportedly, this was around $1.8 billion. So rather a lot of money. However, Silicon Valley Bank didn't think all was lost. They decided they could sell these bonds, and then to reshore their balance sheet, they could go out and do a bit of an equity raise. So they started doing this. In the equity raise pitch deck, they really tried to present themselves as really quite stable. In this pitch deck, they argued that their tier 1 capital was actually quite good. They were very well capitalized. The capitalization ratios were above regulatory minimums. And in fact, they presented themselves as being rather a going concern. Their, effectively, their pitch deck here was actually quite reasonable. For example, in their deck, they state that they have ample liquidity. They have a high-quality, liquid balance sheet with a very low loan-to-deposit ratio. And they have multiple levers to manage their liquidity position. So to seen a continued slowdown. They also assert that they have strong capital. And these strong capital ratios provide a solid foundation to navigate shifting economic conditions while investing in our business. And they argue they have a strong credit track record and high asset quality, strong credit performance throughout cycles, and the vast majority of their assets are in high-quality investments and cycle-tested low-credit-loss lending. In essence, Silicon Valley Bank was trying to present themselves as really quite a stable, sure investment that was going to be able to weather the storm, 
Now, in the back of this equity raise, it rather spooked VC investors. VC investors thought that Silicon Valley Bank might be struggling. They thought that Silicon Valley Bank might ultimately go under. Maybe they were spooked by what was going on in the crypto industry as well. Nevertheless, the venture capitalists instructed their startups, and also themselves, to withdraw their money from Silicon Valley Bank. This ultimately resulted in $42 billion of money coming out of Silicon Valley Bank in the space of a day. $42 billion worth of deposits just taken out of the bank. This creates both a liquidity problem and a solvency problem for Silicon Valley Bank. Now, Silicon Valley Bank tried to reassure markets, but in reality, at this stage, the damage was done. And therefore, the California regulators stepped in and shut Silicon Valley Bank down. Reportedly, Silicon Valley Bank has a net liquidity position of negative $950 million or thereabouts. However, of course, the true state of affairs might be a little bit in flux. And hence why Silicon Valley Bank ultimately shut down. It is, of course, worth noting that Jim Cramer was still relatively benign about Silicon Valley Bank throughout this whole saga. Jim Cramer, who seems to have become the kiss of death for stocks, had actually been positive about Silicon Valley Bank relatively recently. And during this whole saga, he was tweeting out, again, relatively benign things about Silicon Valley Bank. For example, Jim Cramer tweeted, It's very rare to see this much of a bear raid against a bank, but these VCs show that their feelings known pretty out loud, though, don't they? It's pretty chilling. He also stated, if Silicon Valley Bank can rally at all to the $60 range, so it can do a deal in the $50 range, there is a lot of hope. That is, he's suggesting that Silicon Valley Bank might be able to do a bit of a capital raise if it could just rally a tiny bit. He also stated, watch Silicon Valley Bank common stock. It's climbing, despite endless bear raids. So Jim Cramer appeared to be relatively positive about Silicon Valley Bank throughout this whole saga, treating it as a bear raid rather than the bank ultimately going under and facing impending doom. His rhetoric appeared to be a little bit odd. Nevertheless, Silicon Valley Bank is now gone. Now, given that Silicon Valley Bank primarily focused on venture capital, startups, and Silicon Valley, this nicely segues into my course on angel investing, startups, and venture capital. I'm an active angel investor myself. I've invested in over 15 angel deals in addition to many other follow-on rounds and pre-IPO rounds. I'm the board observer at two startups and I sit on the investment committee of a very large angel investor group. So I'm relatively familiar with this space. I've created a course that goes through how to identify startups, the types of things that investors look for, what goes into a term sheet, some information about valuation. It has hours of video content that goes through all aspects of startups and angel investing. And if you sign up using the code Silicon Valley Bank, I'll give you a 50% discount for a very, very limited time. The question is then, could Silicon Valley Bank have done anything different to try to prevent this situation? Well, the first and most fundamental thing they should have done is they should have tried to diversify their depositor base and potentially their loan base. After all, if you're super concentrated in one industry or one sector of the economy, then you are very susceptible to a massive economic shock. For example, if startups are all struggling, then you're going to end up with startups needing to withdraw their deposits, and then your bank is going to run into some liquidity issues and potentially some solvency issues. This, to some extent, is reminiscent of what happened with mortgage-backed securities during the global financial crisis or the Great Recession. All the way back then, people assumed the mortgages would default independently. They wouldn't all default at once. But lo and behold, when you've got an economic catastrophe that triggers one mortgage default, oftentimes other mortgages default at the same time. It's a similar type of situation here. When you've got an economic downturn that forces one of your venture depositors to withdraw their money, then oftentimes other depositors are also going to need to do this. And they should have realized this and taken some steps to try to diversify their deposit book. 
maybe taken some steps to ensure they could get some capital, but wasn't going to withdraw at call. Regardless, they needed to take some steps proactively to try to prevent this. And they really should have known better given A, the nature of the startup industry, B, the nature of the economic environment that we've been finding ourselves in for the past few years, and see what happened in 2008. Next, they should have been more proactive about their capital raise. Now, granted, they did try to sell some of their bonds they were able to sell. They did do an equity raise, but the writing was on the wall for venture capital and startups at the moment. Many startups, even very high-quality startups, have been struggling from a liquidity perspective. They should have seen that many of these startups were not cash flow positive and were going to need to raise some cash, and therefore, there was going to be quite a bit of risk and potentially quite a large tail risk that they were going to be facing with depositors or withdrawing at the same time. They also should have realized that their bonds had deteriorated quite significantly in value and maybe proactively done an equity raise quite some time ago. Rather than dumping this on a market all at once, they should have managed the messaging to reassure the market. The next question is, what does this mean for the economy? Some of this is causal and some of this is more symbolic. The first one is just symbolic. This might be a bit of a canary in the coal mine for what might happen more generally within the economy. After all, if you've got a bank collapsing on the back of many of the depositors needing to withdraw their money, and also the possibility of more and more bank runs and similar type situations, it creates a lot of risk for many of these financial institutions. Second, from a more causal perspective, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank might give the Federal Reserve a little bit of pause about what exactly they're doing with their rate hikes. Now, clearly, one company going under is not going to stop the Federal Reserve hiking rates. However, the second largest banking collapse in US history might well do so. It might cause the Federal Reserve to reconsider whether they really do want to hike rates by 50 basis points, or whether, given they've had a major banking collapse, they'd rather just hike by 25 basis points to avoid exacerbating that type of situation. This, of course, puts some nuance on the most recent jobs data, which came in relatively hot, with non-farm payrolls significantly beating expectations, and the unemployment rate remaining very, very low at 3.6%. So this perhaps might make the Federal Reserve a little bit more dovish than it might ultimately have been. Next, there's the possibility of contagion. Now, exactly to what extent, if at all, this occurs remains to be seen. And it really is too early to tell exactly how large this is going to be. However, reportedly, the vast majority of depositors with Silicon Valley Bank were not insured. And if they can't get the lion's share of the money back, then they might not be able to pay their employees, or their suppliers, or their landlord. And this creates a bit of a domino effect. It could potentially lead to more firms in the real economy collapsing, and this is obviously not great news for the economy in general. And this could encourage the Federal Reserve to go slightly slower with rates than they might otherwise have done. The question, of course, is what implications does this have for individuals, or potentially for investors? Well, clearly, it could affect what the Federal Reserve does with interest rates, which would affect the stock market and also the value of bonds. Furthermore, if you've got cash within a bank account, you want to make sure that you relevantly spread that across so that you can take advantage of federal deposit insurance. You want to be spreading your money across many financial institutions and many credible financial institutions. We're not talking small, potentially slightly flaky banks here. We're talking banks that are more than likely to actually survive. Next, you want to avoid companies that are too exposed to this type of contagion. Now, this is sometimes easier said than done. But look at which firms might be using Silicon Valley Bank as their own bank, particularly depositing money with them, which firms might have lost money as a result of this, and those firms should be making a public announcement about this, and then looking up and down the supply chain to make sure that you aren't caught out by potentially a customer or a supplier defaulting as the case might be. Nevertheless, if you've got any thoughts about what's going on with Silicon Valley Bank, what implications it has, let me know that in the comments below. But otherwise, thanks a lot for tuning in. 
Don't forget to subscribe. And hopefully I see you next time as well.